Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to thank everyone uh, for taking time today to be with us as we provide useful information and insights to help public, private, and nonprofit organizations get more, better broadband everywhere it needs to be in the U.S. Now, for those folks who know, I've, I stay pretty busy, but obviously I wasn't staying busy enough because I broke down and uh, wrote another book. Uh, this one is uh, Building the Gigabit City. And um, it's been an interesting journey. Uh, basically, in the last uh, few months, I felt that it was high time to, to get another, uh, another book out there because uh, folks are asking lots of questions and they're trying to find their way. And the media has finally caught on to gigabit computing and broadband and all of that. And they're starting to write about it. And so with all that media attention, you kind of have to struggle to, to separate fact from fiction and hype from reality. And so I said, well, let's just do, let's just do this book thing. So uh, the book is out. It's uh, available for download. Uh, this time around, I partnered with Gigabit Squared to, um, to, to bring this production out to the market. Uh, we, we, as in Gigabit Squared and I, I believe, share a lot of the same mission in terms of both, um, you know, wanting to educate you know, communities on what the real facts are about broadband, but also we also believe in uh, developing partnerships and and a lot of collaboration, uh, doing a lot of out of the box thinking to bring broadband to communities that need it. So today, uh, I invited uh, Mark Ansbury, who's the CEO of Gigabit, Gigabit Squared, to uh, to join me to both talk about what his company is doing. We're going to talk a lot about the book and 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 moving people, moving communities to the next step. So, Mark, welcome to the show. Hey, Craig. It's always good to be on with you, sir. <laughs> All righty. I think it was and a such year a great ago. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. It was it was a year ago, actually, at uh, the uh, Shelby con- uh, conference that you made the announcement of uh, Gigabit Squared, and we had you on the show, and a lot has gone on in the last year. So before we start talking about me, let's talk about you, Let, and more specifically, Gigabit Squared. What have you guys been up to in the last uh, in the last few months? Has it really been a year, Craig? I'm afraid so, That's- dude. Oh man! Well, uh, time has flown, and uh, uh, we've we've been on the trail of uh, working with a number of communities that are very interested in building uh, their own gigabit neighborhoods. Um, since May of last year, um, you may have heard. I'm, I'm sure you're aware of, but some of the listeners uh, that we announced uh, Gigabit Chicago, uh, mm-hmm. working with the University of Chicago, and uh, we. Uh, in partnership with them, applied for a state grant. So we we got a uh, gigabit challenge grant from the state uh, Department of Economic Development uh, for two million, and the university is collaborating with us and investing a couple million, and we're putting some more money into it to to build out fiber in uh, across nine neighborhoods and to build fiber to the home in four neighborhoods in the mid south side of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, and in those uh, neighborhoods, we're looking at Hyde Park, Kenwood, Woodlawn, and Washington Park as sort of the cornerstone um, of the initial deployment. And these are, you know, really a mix of some served, uh, what we'll call it higher-end, um, you know, homes along with some very uh, impoverished area where there's, you know, reinvestment and redevelopment going on. 
So uh, it's a it's a very uh, good crossbreed of what you know can be done in, in a variety of different communities, and we're excited about it. Mm-hmm. The other the other announcement that uh, we had was uh, in collaboration with uh, Mayor McGinn and the City of Seattle. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Seattle was uh, very progressive. Has really looked at building fiber to the home for I think close to ten years, and. Um, they have over the ten years built out, uh, you know, 500 route miles of fiber for their own purposes. And uh, what they were able to do as a community is say, we have this asset now. How do we put it to work? And they worked with uh, the city council and came up with an ordinance that allowed the city to share excess capacity. So we were able to um, to respond to them uh, on an RFI that they put out in use of that and. They responded to a proposal, an RFP that we put out, and uh, together we've come to consensus that uh, Seattle is a great opportunity for another gigabit city, and so we've made the announcement that uh, we're uh, implementing uh, uh, Gigabit Seattle, and uh, both uh, Seattle and Chicago are similar in size and and scope in that we're uh, attempting to reach close to, uh, you know, 85,000-plus households um you know in the in the neighborhoods um covering uh you know a sizable um geographic area within the community um Chicago is very concentrated in the mid south side and Seattle is spread around around some key areas and uh key neighborhoods that we're working in so mm-hmm. we're very excited about both projects uh we have been since our announcements in October and December and believe that it wasn't that long ago um, we have uh, been working on the engineering, and we're uh, probably a couple of months ahead in Chicago, but we're starting construction of fiber in May. And uh, we anticipate having soft launch services, uh, you know, post-summer and having some uh, Wi-Fi services up, uh, you know, during the this, this summer. So we're pretty excited about that. And Seattle is just kind of right behind that. So mm-hmm. um, both projects are moving right along. We've uh, been working with a number of our partners and community vendors that we're working with. Uh, we've been uh, in developing, starting the process of you know community engagement, uh, and uh, and we've seen just a tremendous uh, you know demand pool in uh, both communities. Mm-hmm. Now let's uh, you know talk about this one thing for a second. You know, a lot of the media attention, a lot of attention in general on broadband has been for rural areas. You know, people, when they think unserved and underserved, they always think about, you know, rural areas. And if they think about urban areas, sometimes it might be an issue of, well, you know, low-income communities don't have uh, adoption. You know, they're not adopting the technology. What's the reality of urban areas and infrastructure needs? Are they really being... Uh, as well served as the industry might, you know, have you believe, or is there a lot of infrastructure need in these larger cities? Um, What we're finding is quite surprising is that a lot of the inner city, a lot of the, uh, uh, you know, sort of core where it's not really the high-end commercial, you know, uh, areas and it's, you know, really the urban housing and it's, you know, maybe the more impoverished areas, um, we're finding they really don't have um, infrastructure, and um, and they aren't really getting the kind of services that other parts of the city or other parts of you know the communities 
um, uh, have access to. And so there's there was a big push uh, when we first announced our program. You know, we anticipated that we'd be working more with tier two and tier three cities, but there was a huge push from the tier one cities, and we didn't anticipate that that would sort of be our point of entry into you know really helping move the the gigabit um, you know message along. But uh, the more we got into it, the more the opportunity um, you know represented itself, and that there was a real need and there was a you know demand for services. Um, you know, we said we have to do something about that. Um, and in the Mid South side, which is a great example, I mean, it's a it's a the whole area that we're dealing with is a highly underserved area, and and there's not a lot of uh, fiber infrastructure there. There's not a lot of wireless infrastructure there. So um, the community, by and large, you know, does what it can. It uses you know, you know, cell phones and other sorts of things, but uh, doesn't really have access to to big broadband. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, bringing that to the schools, bringing that to the libraries, bringing that to the clinics who, you know, are operating on DSL lines. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> a, there's a much larger demand than, than you would imagine. So, we see a real need, a real opportunity, and uh, there is an education component to this, though. You know, because mm-hmm. a lot of the community itself is not really technically enabled, um, you know, they sort of lack some of the core infrastructure that they haven't had access to it. So there's, you know, some training and workforce development, adoption kinds of things that have to go hand in hand, you know, with the development and the deployment of broadband. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, take a second and talk about uh, the mission for Gigabit Squared. In case some folks didn't catch our, you know, initial interview, you're not a financial investment group per se, but more what I refer to as a resource investment. You know, you're bringing together resources and and whether you're developing or delivering those directly from Gigabit Squared or through a series of relationships, uh, you're you're bringing these resources to bear in the communities in pursuit of of infrastructure. And I didn't mean to take your thunder, but am am I describing what Gigabit Squared does? But you're doing pretty good there, Craig. Um, you know, we de- we describe ourselves as a digital economic development company, and um, as such, uh, we're really focusing on you know working with communities and and really developing what we'll describe more as public-private kinds of partnerships. You know, we might be the operating partner, we might be the in- investor in this. You know, bringing other people along with us. But in essence, what we're trying to do is, if there's existing resources, how do you leverage those resources to affect, you know, building out that capacity to the larger community? Um, if if there are no resources, well, then we have to band together to, you know, create a, a framework for that investment. And um, in the case of Seattle, you know, there's huge infrastructure across the city, but it's not deployed within the neighborhoods. So there's a need to, to extend that capacity from what they have into the neighborhoods so that the you know the community itself can have access to that kind of broadband and infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, in Chicago, there's almost nothing. There's, uh, but we did find a partner there. We were able to uh, you know work on some things which we'll be announcing shortly. But you know we found some good partners both in the public sector. You know working with the University of Chicago who had some core assets in in the uh, you know the High Park area around the university that really are beneficial to the deployment, and we found some private partners who had some infrastructure 
and uh, we're able to work with them and uh, you know develop a plan which really accelerates our ability to deploy you know fiber throughout the communities. Mm-hmm. Now, um, when you initially launched, uh, I think in one of the media documents. Uh, it was mentioned that you had six projects in your site, and we're seeing two of those. Are there still four more in the wings? Do you have more in the wings? Anything that you can talk about right now? Um, well, I will say that uh, we continually look for what we'll call good projects, right, mm-hmm. good partners. And, and we're looking more for good partners. And if you find a community that has, you know, assets that's willing to, you know, invest in changing their own uh, you know, gigabit destiny, and they're willing to partner on that. Um, that's very attractive and allows us then to bring private capital to the table along with potentially public capital contracts or, you know, shared assets. Mm-hmm. And and what we're all looking to do really in this in this model is to be able to deploy the infrastructure but also drive the cost down, right? So we're trying to create an affordable product, an affordable service for the community. And what we really want to promote is innovation. Mm-hmm. So, so to get there, you know, we need partners because, you know, if you go build it yourself, it's going to be a little more expensive. But when you find good partners and you can share existing assets and you get, you know, you know, contracts for services, it allows you to begin to change that paradigm and then offer the affordable services that most communities are looking for. Mm-hmm. So, so we have announced our first two. We are in discussions with several others as we speak. Um, and we've had a couple other communities come to us. So, I mean, uh, our pool is actually bigger than six right now, but okay. to, to tell you the truth, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to look at those communities that best fit the profile of a good public-private kind of partner, um, you know, that really are motivated and themselves as communities can create a de- demand aggregation model, uh, which we think is very important to uh, building up uh, uh, capacity. Um, so we, we're looking for, you know, just the right fit. And not everybody's the right fit, you know, and mm-hmm. there are different, uh, as you know, Craig, some communities want to do this on their own, and we're good with that, and they want to build their infrastructure, and sometimes they just need help with operations, and, you know, in those kind of situations, we can we can help them as an operator. Sometimes they need help with operating capital, so, you know, we, we look at those. So every every deal that we look at or every community we look at is a different kind of deal structure. Mm-hmm. Now let's uh, shift gears for a little bit. Let's talk about uh, the need, two different needs. One is the need for a gigabit uh, at the risk of being uh, called a heretic. Um, is there a need for a gigabit? Is a gigabit just a good you know, something to hang your your hat on, and it's not really about the gigabit, it's about high speed. I mean, we are, if you remember the Muni wireless days, I feel like we are at the point similar to, uh, I don't know, right after Philadelphia and Portland said, okay, we're going to build these citywide networks. And the media picked up on it, and then it just started, it just took off. And I think that we're kind of at that state now, in large part because of Google, uh, you know, anointing these various cities with uh, with Google Fiber, but are we gonna are we are we on the verge of of creating a lot of hype, or is, is the gigabit real and is it really a need? Well, I, I'm you know I'm uh, going to err on the side of where I think the, the future is going. I, I think uh, gigabit is the future. I think uh, you really do need gigabit capacity. Or do you? 
effectively use that today with a single application? Um, you know, in very specific instances, yes, but in general sense, maybe not. But when you look at the applications in aggregate and you look at the movement of, you know, just video, for example, we're moving, you know, from what we know as high def into 4K and 8K is just around the corner. You know, these are your 3D and your, you know, higher definition um, uh, video streams. You know, they're going to require more capacity. Um, you look then at the Internet and just the uses of, you know, what we call big data today. Um, you know, that's going to require bigger access to bandwidth. Um, look at healthcare. You know, healthcare is an application that continues to probe and leverage these new tools and then a demonstration project that uh, Case Western Reserve has done with the University uh, Hospital and with uh, Judson, which is a senior assisted living center. They're doing 300 meg uncompressed video, uh, symmetrical video, to um, you know for uh, tele health consults. So um, you know, is it you know are you going to use a gig? Um, you know, maybe collectively with the applications, but are you going to use larger bandwidths that are generally available today? Yes. And uh, I think that trend is just going to grow. And as we get more innovative applications, um, you know, you're going to have greater use. Um, and you think in the average household there's, you know, close to three people, um, you know, and everybody is getting connected. So, you know, and we're all multitasking. So, you know, there's a need for lots of different kinds of applications to have access simultaneously, video streams, uh, you know, different services. Um, everybody's getting connected, the Internet of Things, so every device and homes are, you know, going to be connected in the future. Um, the need to communicate is going to be even greater. So I, I say, if anything, what you want to do is future-proof by building the advanced technology that can really scale and grow to meet those future demands. And, uh, hey, don't forget the proliferation of devices. <laughs> mm -hmm. you know. yeah. No no doubt about that. No doubt about that. So we're so we're really we're really looking in that in that direction. That's where we're gonna go. And the point that you brought up that I think is very important to make sure people understand is that often when we're talking about the gig, we're not talking solely about the individual because, you know, needless to say the more cynical folk in the industry that, you know, can't provide a gig will say who needs it anyway or our customers don't need it. But you look at people together, you know, you've got, you, you know, even in your small towns, if you've got four or 500 students all going to go online at the same time, they're all going to be using, you know, these high bandwidth education applications that, you know, tie together them and their parents and their teachers to do that kind of computing, even on that scale, five, 600 people at one time, you need some serious pipes to do that. Correct? Absolutely. Okay. And and that's, you know, you think about what's happening today in the wireless technologies with Wi-Fi. Mm -hmm. You know, we're moving to new standards like AC. You know, can we push a gig in Wi-Fi? And you've got early stage, you know, we'll call it consumer devices. But we also see in the uh, in more of the commercial devices coming out at a gig. So, you know, you're going to see your access strategies being able to pull in larger groups of people and devices and services and and when those are enabled in a home with other devices and moving that, that video not only to, you know, you want your video anywhere, you want your conference call anywhere in your house, as you start to do things like that, you're going to increase the bandwidth demand in the home. 
Um, but you're also going to create the need for a larger gateway, right, that connects mm-hmm. to the outer world. So, it, you know, think what we're doing. We're jamming all this stuff in a home. And uh, we're going to say, well, where's it going to go? <laughs> if you don't have a big pipe, you're not going to go anywhere. Right. Um, so you're not going to have all those advanced services. You might have the devices and the capability, but you really can't leverage that because you don't have the bandwidth. I can see, uh, you know, we're definitely that makes a lot of sense, and that's 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 definitely I think where we are going now. One of the points, and we'll sort of segue into the, into the book, is one of the points early on is I tell folks this isn't about. I mean, despite the book's title, "Building the Gigabit City," it's not about a gigabit. It's really about defining your needs and then defining the needs of the individual, and then defining the needs of the collective, you know, the, the, the community, at, you know, as a whole. And, you know, does that appear to be, you know, from all of your experience, a good worldview to have? Um, absolutely. I mean, uh, the, the real issue is not about building the infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And we've always described it as about the meaningful use of that infrastructure. So, you know, what are the community needs and the applications and how would they use it? And a lot of this is still educational. I mean, what we're finding and working even in large metro areas, when you deal with the smaller clinics, you deal with some of the schools, they don't really know what they can do with it. You know, they get a general sense they see on TV and they maybe get an example from somebody doing something, but how do they do it in their school? How do they do it in their clinic? How do they do it in their home? And... um and so there's a need, I think, within communities to kind of do an assessment of, you know, what is it that, you know, we have? What kind of programs, what kind of capabilities, what kind of applications can we implement that are really going to improve the quality of our health care, the quality of our education, um, you know, the public safety, um, you know, and then really create an um, environment where you can have an innovative workforce. You know, you can create a, a model where innovation can occur and it occurs by just the sheer nature of having this kind of broadband available. And, um, that you know, the dynamics of that inside the community, when you understand what the, you know, the real assets of the community are, which are people, and the organizations in the community that service those people, you find that a lot of the traffic that we're talking about, and we start talking about a gig, is what we like to describe as hyperlocal. You know, when you're dealing with your doc in your clinic, they're five miles down the road, they're in your community, you know, they're people you know. It's not like you're trying to go across country. Mm-hmm. So if that happens and there's benefit, 90% of that takes place in your own backyard. Mm-hmm. So so having access to the infrastructure that makes it easier, that makes it, you know, simpler and part of, you know, the, the, the community uh, uh, business strategy makes a lot of sense. And the community itself, once it begins to understand that value and builds those local relationships, you find there's a lot of common interest between the institutional stakeholders, you know, between the schools and the hospitals and government and social service and, you know, the uh, the churches. And when you put all those together as part of the community, you know, there there's a lot of collaborative engagement and there's really a common need to share uh, that kind of capacity and that kind of capability. Mm-hmm. Now, you and I have made a little bit of an investment here in the in in the assumption that people want to do a needs assessment. People understand that why this is important. 
Um, from your perspective and what you've seen, uh, how would you how would you define people's you know desire uh, to to do the homework first? Because I think in the Muni Wi-Fi days. Everybody jumped in, but a lot of people didn't look before they jumped in. It was just, you know, this was the hype, and we have to have it, and off they went. And they issued RFPs and all the rest of it. Is there a different, uh, you know, dynamic at work at the community level now? Um, we think there needs to be, and and we're at least seeing uh, a lot of communities take more control of that. You know, we used to build economic plans for the community, and it was about real estate and roads and you know, the typical utilities, um, and, and it didn't address broadband. Um, we're starting to see more of those plans now starting to look at, hey, I need, you know, fiber infrastructure, I need wireless infrastructure because we need broadband as part of our plan because that's what's going to attract new businesses, it's going to attract people who want to live here, um, it's going to make the, you know, the uh, community more intriguing um, and uh, so, so we're seeing some of that in the economic development sense. And, and the truth is, you know, in the past when you kind of looked at this from, we'll call it the Muni Broadband days, it wasn't really treated as a business. You know, we want to provide this service as a free service. Well, it's not really free. Can it be affordable and cost-effective? Absolutely. You know, how do you create that? And how do you create an environment where there is that sort of general public access that you bridge the digital divide, or what we like to say is you're really creating digital inclusion? And you create an environment where it's available to everybody, and you know, based on their needs and their capacity to use it, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, that takes planning. So you know, communities now have to look at this as more of you know, we've got to not only plan and make put to make this part of our economic development plan, but we need to have that sort of business acumen that looks at this as how do we create a sustainable business model? How do we help our carrier, our carrier partners? Or how do we bring in the right kinds of capacity to make this generally available and sustainable within our community? So, you know, that gets down to the heart of once you've done the uh, sort of the original needs assessment and you've done all the demand analysis and all those wonderful things, you now start looking at the viability of putting it together in a real business strategy of, of making it sustainable. Mm -hmm. um, but that's that's kind of a typically for most communities that's a couple step process. You know, right. a lot of people like to go do feasibility studies. You do a feasibility study and you think you're done. Well, where's the roadmap? You know, how how do you actually go get it done? You know, feasibility said I could do it, but now when I've got to do it, what are the steps that I need to take to get it done? And now we're seeing more communities kind of bridge that gap and say, hey, does it really take to get it done? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting, uh, you know, I do this survey every year of economic development professionals, and uh, this year I expanded the audience and with Broadband Communities Magazine uh, did a survey of their readers, which are a mixture of uh, government officials, government uh, staff, um, service providers, and consultants, and a number of other folks, very few economic development professionals. And it was interesting to see just the jump in the percentage of folks who um, say that their community has an economic development plan that includes broadband tactics as a way to achieve their economic development goals. Um, again, from the ground, are you seeing are you seeing that in action? Um, 
you know, we're starting to see it become more pervasive. I mean, it's becoming more pervasive in uh, every aspect of the community. It's becoming pervasive in the community groups, the uh, local social groups, the churches, the uh, housing associations. You know, so at the grassroots level, you're seeing this sort of become part of the mantra. And so it becomes part of their plan, part of their community, um, you know, meetings and, and part of their goals and objectives they want to achieve. And then we're starting to see that sort of permeate into the political will, right, where mm -hmm. now you see political officials saying broadband's got to be here. We've got to make that part of our, you know, our objective, part of our long-term growth plan and, uh, you know, make that part of the community amenity of some sort. How do we do that? Um, and, and what we're seeing, of course, in industry is a big drive because of devices and capabilities and applications. You know, you're seeing more things happen within education and healthcare and private sector, you know, and manufacturing, and we can go down the list, um, that are really driving that demand institutionally. And um, so, yes, we are seeing it become more pervasive. We're seeing it become more visible, more of a stated goal. You know, it's no longer sort of Hey, it's a nice to have. It's a we must have. Mm -hmm. And that um, one of those early on uh, discussions. Even when I wrote a couple of books back in the middle of the uh, Muni Wi-Fi days, was trying to tell people, you know, you really have to uh, think about it as a business, but you have to plan from the bottom up. You need your businesses. And my contention in um, oh, I don't know oh five was that you needed to have strong uh, local government and local business participation in the plan, in, in, in various aspects of the plan and the planning. Um, are those the two primary pillars now, or do you see other parts of the local community almost becoming equally important as you know, folks that you need to have be part of the planning uh, process? Well, you know, this is sort of, you know, it's the place you live, work, and play. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you live there, so there's the requirements for, you know, good health, good education, you know, social services, public safety, all those things that, you know, that just help that living process. The work, you know, the environment itself, how do people work, that dynamic has been changing, you know, vastly over the years as we take on, you know, more application kinds of capabilities, remote workers, um, you know, a lot, we're doing a lot more now, uh, you know, on computers. And, and as a result, we're spending more time there. So, you know, having the ability to be, you know, work within the workplace but work at home, you know, be portable uh, becomes more and more important within a community um, so that that work environment, you know, definitely has to be part of that. And, and it has to be not just the larger institutional model we talk about but the small entrepreneurs. You know, they're the ones that really are driving a lot of interesting innovation. Um, and then we have to talk about it in the, in, a, in the pure sense of play. You know, it's it's entertainment. Mm -hmm. um, it is part of the community social paradigm. It's part of where people get, you know, <clears throat> follow up on, you know, what's happening at the church, what's happening on the community, what's happening in, you know, what music is playing, what, you know, what events are occurring. And, uh, you know, there's a food festival. So, you know, it's becoming more immersive. But mm -hmm. I think if you think about it in that scenario, it's the live, work, and play environment um, that really is conducive to the, you know, sort of what we call the proper planning. You know, you're looking at all aspects of 
you know, how it affects your community. Mm-hmm. One of the um, one of the things I've noticed from the research um, is that. Uh, the, the things that seem to be at the top of the list are often what's in the media. I mean, using broadband to attract new business. I mean, Chattanooga is probably the poster child for that kind of uh, aggressive marketing uh, you know, of their community because they have broadband, you should come to our community. The, the second item that gets, that's fairly popular is using broadband to um, Im- improve your existing businesses. You know, and you look at uh, Kansas City, and then the folks in Kansas City have done lots of, you know, planning and strategizing for how their existing businesses are going to are gonna take advantage of Google Fiber. One of the things that only, I think, in the last year or two that's come up on the screen that I'm not sure the media and the sort of the general industry has picked up on is this thing of home-based businesses. Um, where there is a, uh, I don't know, something like 53, 55% of the folks surveyed said broadband is going to have an impact on increasing home-based businesses. What are your thoughts on that? Well, if you if you read the junk mail that comes your way, everybody's in an Internet business today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, Um well, I, I will say that, uh, you know, uh, studies have shown that close to 24% of the uh, workforce does at some point in time work from home. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's a fairly large population of the workforce. Mm-hmm. And and when you think about the dynamics of an entrepreneur, you know, I, I, I have my own home office. So I work out of it as much as I possibly can. And, and it's amazing how much work I can get done when I'm, you know, in my home office. Um, you know, you still need social contacts and interaction with people, and et cetera, but it does provide a uh, the ability for someone who has got an entrepreneurial spirit to really create an innovative application or program or, you know, uh, um, just general business model that, you know, they can do at a very low cost, get started, and start building up, you know, their their opportunity. This is the American dream, right? Mm-hmm. So um, if you're lowering the barrier to entry and you're giving them capacity to be able to operate like a big company at home, I think you're going to see a lot more growth of that entrepreneurial spirit. You know, that's mm-hmm. where innovation comes from. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's individuals and groups of people together that create these, uh, you know, these new tools and capabilities. So <clears throat> I think we're creating a, you know, a virtual workforce. You know, we're creating a distributed workforce for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're also bringing talent together in a unique and different way. And one of the things I think that people should understand is that this uh, need or desire to uh, work from home and uh, uh, have home-based businesses is not just a um, a large town uh, phenomenon. I'm working on a project in Ottumwa, and Ottumwa is a fairly small, I mean, 25,000 people, uh, but geographically, it's not that, you know, difficult to walk from one end of the town to the other. And and so my assumption going in uh, was that, well, maybe, uh, you know, people working from home isn't going to be a big deal because if you can literally walk to the office in 15 minutes, you know, why would you want to work from home? And and so we did surveys, and that's basically one of the things that came out of that. Well, two things that came out of that were um, about 
25 or so percent of the population uh, did indeed want to work from home. Uh, it might even be a little bit higher than that. And then another similar percentage of folks have, have a home-based business. Well, the, the home-based business part we can understand, but but for a small town, you know, I'm thinking, well, this is a pretty huge number of folks who, if they had the option, even though work is but a stone's throw away, you know, for us folks who live in the big city, um, they're they're serious about working from home. And and, and a panel we had on um, at the uh, what was it, the broadband communities um, summit about three weeks ago really concurred with that 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 the work from home movement is not just a uh, an urban movement of folks who want to avoid you know rush hour traffic. This is kind of an across the board. Uh, phenomenon, and I, I'm I'm guessing that you're seeing something similar on on your end of things. I, you know, I, I I would say that uh, you know I think the trends that we're beginning to see is that uh, our kids are multitaskers. Um, you know, they're multimedia, multi-device. Um, they're always on. You know, they're always doing something, and it's and it's really a mixture. You know, it's a mixture of where we think that hey, when you're working, you're working when you're you know, you're you're doing your personal things. You're doing your personal things. That that's kind of got blended a little bit, but also the workday has just gotten longer. You know, so you are almost seeing a trend where you're starting to see a blend between the the work and the live and the play kind of environment. And um, and I I think that's just the nature of people. You know, and they become uh, you know multitaskers. They get involved with multiple things, multiple threads you know, multiple programs, applications, and conversations. And, um, you know, having an environment that's conducive to that, um, and home environment is very conducive to that, uh, gives the ability to be very productive, um, you know, to operate simultaneously on different levels. And, uh, you know, it, it, it creates a little freedom. And, uh, and again, I'm always a believer of innovation. So innovation, you know, breeds opportunity. And um, it creates now opportunities to do things differently than you have in the before, and it creates certain efficiencies. You know, conversations are short and sweet sometimes. And, in fact, if, you know, if you've got kids, you, you know they're texting, you know, and their communication, they'd rather text than have a phone conversation because it's quicker and they got their point across. Mm-hmm. And uh, you blend that in then with other media and other tools, and what you're getting is a whole different level of communication going on. Mm-hmm. So, so this trend is changing. This multitasking, um, the ability to be that sort of collaborative workspace, you know, that that home space, um, it creates, uh, in I think many ways, a more productive person and a and a more well-rounded person, you know, in that way, um, you know, because it gives them the ability to really dig in and and manage to their own work style. And uh, you know, when you're at the desk and you're in the office, you have one work style. <laughs> Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and, if, and if you can open that up and you can allow for a little creativity and a little innovation, I think you wind up with better product, uh, you know, better capabilities, uh, more informed workforce. Um, you know, I just I just think it's, uh, you know, it's part of a trend. It doesn't work for everybody, you know, and it's, you know, there's, there's a, a need in some businesses that, you know, you need to have people work together, but... Um, you know, for a part of that workforce, you know, that work at home or that small entrepreneur, you know, perfect scenario. Mm-hmm. So, in essence, given how we're evolving, to say, you know, as an industry, I mean, not 
the community broadband industry, but you know some of the larger telcos to say that you know fiber to the home is a luxury, it's an entertainment issue. Uh, you know, wire wire communities getting involved, wire local governments getting involved. Really, this has moved beyond the question of entertainment. And then once we move past that realm, uh, then yes, everybody has a justifiable uh, reason to have a hand in the game, including local government. Not necessarily by right. itself, but you know, this is no longer a, a, a play thing. Right. Well, if you remember, Craig, and I remember this because I'm just old enough to remember all this stuff, in the mid-90s, the incumbents and the cable operators said the Internet was a fad. Mm-hmm. That's true. You know? They did. Mm-hmm. And, and, and now we're there telling us we don't need a gigabit. Yeah, you're fine with 50 megabits. You know, and, and that's what the industry tends to do. The industry tends to try to drive its consumers into its products rather than build products and services that meet the demand of the consumers. And and this is where the disruptive nature of Gigabit really comes in. It's now saying, look, I'm not putting boundaries, barriers, or governors on what you do. You have all the bandwidth you can have access to. What can you do with it? And and it, you change the paradigm. You change the discussion. The conversation changes right away. And all of a sudden, I think that's, again, I'm going back. I I, I think that's where innovation comes from. You know, as soon as you take the governor off, people can do creative things. They're not worried about it. They're not worried about the price of it, right? They're not worried about, well, can I afford it this month? You know, mm-hmm. when it's all you can eat, it's all you can eat. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then hopefully this will be, uh, you know, what our future, um, what our what our future looks like. Um, in terms of collaboration, I'm going to shift gears here just a little bit. Um, you know, the, the the book, my book coming out, uh, talks a lot about um, collaboration, bringing stakeholders together. I mean, a whole chapter on, you know, how to identify and and bring these folks together toward the common good as it relates to broadband. Um, <clears throat> and you alluded to this earlier, but what kinds of folks are taking that, you know, that collaborative approach? And maybe the better question is, how do you as the uh, local broadband champion or the person who's been designated the lead for this project, how do you harness and drive uh, collaboration effectively? Um, well, that's all great questions. And the, um, the the real truth is that collaboration right now largely has been, you know, sort of what I call the community organizations or it's been – that uh, institution that has a requirement to get multiple parties together. That's that's how we sort of view collaboration, or we can get together and develop an economic plan. So you bring community members together to build a plan. But it's not really action-oriented. It's not focused on execution. So <clears throat> I will take, you know, uh, Alev Ghanik, who is the CIO of Case, and has now just taken over as CEO of uh, One Community. Oh, that's right. I heard about um, that. Yeah, I mean... Uh, you know, he's always had the theory, and I've I've sort of you know bought into all of this, and actually been part of the demonstration of well, how effective it is. But you create a big tent model, you find, you bring the communities together from different interest groups, you find those champions that have a real passion and a desire to get something done, and you empower them. You know, you create the tools and the environment that allow them to be successful, which means. <clears throat> 
that you can't be an outsider. You have to be inside the tent working on those kinds of program and activities. And in our business and in telecommunications in general, we've always been the outsider. You know, we've always said, here's the stuff, talk to you later, whatever you're doing is great, you know, hey, tell us what you're doing with it, and we'll say, hey, here's our technology you use, that kind of thing. We haven't really been part of the discussion or the collaboration. And and I think that's what needs to change. You know, the, the change there is that you need to work with the community groups, those institutional members, and help develop the strategy and the approach that really leverages the infrastructure that's available to them. And, and part of that's an education process. You know, we have to work on educating the champions, the institutions, and the individuals on, you know, what they could do and then let them take over and drive what they want to do. And, um, and there's a transition there that that occurs, but there's a, a process that I think we have to go within our communities as we build these gigabit neighborhoods we have to really be engaged with those neighborhoods in developing the early stage, you know, and, and catalyzing those kinds of opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have to feed them and, and uh, we have to, you know, help them grow. And once they're grown, they're off on their own. <laughs> is is there a um, um, is there a carrot and stick approach to this, or is it pretty much we need to think? Strictly uh, motivational, promotional, more motivational as a way to, you know, because we're talking about volunteers, we're talking about, you know, a, you've you got a dynamic where you're asking a lot of people to do work more or less voluntarily, but at the same time, as serious as all of this stuff is, there has to be some level of accountability. I mean, you've got to, you know, make sure that when people say they're going to do X, they do actually the whole the whole thing will fall apart how do you how do you get to that point well i mean uh, there's there's different uh, fundamentals here you know in building the infrastructure and sort of making broadband generally available you know that that's uh, you know a real business right and you have mm-hmm. to you know you know lay out the plan you have to you know get the right you know business model together the technology and the financing and the right people and operations support to make it work then you have to figure out how to layer that into the community. You know, where does volunteerism work, right? And how do you leverage that? How do you use that so that what you're doing is you're creating opportunities for, you know, training and education and adoption. And then in another area where there's needs to really, you know, develop workforce skills, right, and capabilities, uh, you're doing that. And so how do you tie into those groups, those institutions that have the capacity and the resources and and what's amazing, I think, you find in these sort of, you know, big community efforts is a lot of people are spending money on doing the same thing. You know, when when you can collaborate on those things that are common and, and really have a broader impact, then you get more bang for the dollar that you're investing. Mm-hmm. So um, there are then create opportunities where it, instead of just being a volunteer, maybe it's an internship, right? Mm-hmm. And internships turn into potential jobs. And... And so on. You know, how do you how do you create in the community the model that people are always progressing and participating at levels that they want to participate at, right? Because mm-hmm. you know, it's about what they want to do, but giving them the opportunity and giving them a point of engagement. 
Um, and I think that's the, the real opportunity and what we all talk about in this community engagement and participation is you're really just creating, you know, innovative ways for people um, to take part. Mm-hmm. That uh, have you seen some some uh, I don't know specific examples of what you know maybe one or two examples of how folks have creatively harnessed that energy uh, to move a community forward. Well, you know it's it's interesting. I mean, I, you know you you know a lot of the same examples I do, but when you look at you know Chattanooga and Lafayette, you know they've got their public their nonprofit groups their social groups that are kind of part of, we'll call it the community discussion. Um, you see Google, you know, trying to take part in developing those sort of tech volunteers, right, the tech-enabled, um, you know, kind of local workforce that, that helps work in the neighborhood and the community. Um, you know, those are completely different approaches that each of them has, but what they're all doing is making, uh, you know, taking advantage of the opportunity of the available workforce that's interested in in making broadband part of their community. Um, you know, that's step one. There's step two, three, and four. But um, what we're, we're seeing, at least here, is both from a public sector and private sector um, really tapping into those community resources. Mm -hmm. Now, let's talk about Google for a hot second here, because a lot of what's going on with all this levels of interest and so forth is being driven by uh, these these Google announcements. So if you were to look at the last um, three or four months, uh, there was Kansas City last summer, last year, a um, lot of energy around that. And then in this last couple of months, you know, it's been Austin, it's been Provo, it's been several other smaller, you know, suburban areas. Um, what has been... Uh, for lack of a better phrase, the Google effect on uh, driving community planning and, and just, you know, getting off the dime, just, you know, to stop talking about stuff and doing stuff. Well, I, I think what we like about Google and what we like about what we're doing is, you know, um, we're both taking different approaches to it, but what we are doing is we're actually taking action-oriented approaches. We're, we're moving into what we'll call execution of those strategies we're not talking about anymore, we're out to get it done. And um, what Google's done, <clears throat> you know, and of course they're, they're a big company with a lot of resources, they're just going out and they are establishing projects in communities and saying this can be done, it can be done over again, and it can be done in your community. By the way, if you have interest, you need to step up and start figuring out how you're going to get it done. You know, I, I heard uh, Milo speak uh Milo Medin has uh, you know been driving a lot mm -hmm. of that that work, and you know I mean his his thing is we're not going to do everything you know we're not going to go out and solve you know world hunger here but what we are trying to do is promote that everybody can take control of their own destiny and if they want to build gigabit broadband they can do it you know they just have to find the right mechanism the right strategy the right partner to get it done and. Um, and I think that's what uh, Google has said is, hey, there are a lot of communities that want to get this done. We see real opportunity, and, and uh, I think Milo has even said it. We're not in it to, you know, not make money. We have to make money doing this. So, you know, <laughs> they come out with a, a good business plan. It's affordable, but they still get to make money. That's that's pretty good. Mm -hmm. And uh, and they're disruptive at the same time because what they're showing is that there is a demand for gigabit. 
Mm-hmm. So in six months from now, six to 12 months from now, between you know efforts of companies such as Google and, and Gigabit Squared, where do you see us relative to where we are now? We're sort of, at the, and as I see us right now, people are starting to get off the dime. You know, last year it was kind of, well, you know, a broadband would be good, a gigabit would be good. We're not sure what a gigabit is, but we think that might be something to do. Now, all of a sudden, I think we're through a mixture of envy, as communities will often, when some other community is successful, they do want to keep up with the Joneses, um, and, 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 and a push maybe from economic need or economic development need that people are like, oh, we got we to go somewhere. Right, so I think we we're at this. We've got to go somewhere. What happens in twelve months? Where do you think we will be? Well, um, uh, Nirvana would be everybody would say we're moving forward. <laughs> okay. Um, I, you know, I think what we're going to see is you're, you're going to see more companies like Google and Gigabit Square, you know, step up and say, "Hey, we're going to help our communities, you know, get to a gigabit." You're going to find uh, a host of communities that don't want to be left behind that want to, you know, make it happen. Um, and then you're going to see a bunch of other communities at least have the conversation, right? Um, you know, we, we want to see, you know, uh, you know, hundreds of these things moving forward and hundreds turn into thousands, you know. Um, and we're not just talking about the Tier 1, Tier 2, Tier 3 communities. You're also talking about the rural communities. You know, how do we, how do we make this a national program and really institute uh, you know, a uh, real strategy to build the Gigabit Nation. And that's what you promote, right, Gigabit Nation? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have a, a broadband plan. I, I, You know, I think, though, you know, every plan has its limitations and its ceiling. You know, it's written for a certain reason. Um, the real truth is, you know, we also have to set, you know, the uh, the target. You know, where are we going? Where are we going as a nation? And I think uh, by setting a target of a gigabit, um, you know, it uh, it doesn't mean that we have to do it all tomorrow. But what it says is that's the direction we want to go, right? Mm-hmm. And we're competing mm-hmm. globally. We're not just competing locally. We're competing globally, you know, as we start to deal with this. So we need to start moving in that direction. We need to set the uh, stake in the ground um, and have a bold vision that I think drives America towards a gigabit nation. Mm-hmm. And our small step, the Googles and the Gigabit Squared and the companies that follow, you know, we're going to be doing our part, but it's going to take all of us and a few more. Mm-hmm. So the the bulls, so the, so the chairman, uh, you know, Janikowski, like him, do not like him, whatever, but his laying out there this Gigabit Challenge or this Gigabit Cities Challenge, then in your, um, from your perspective, was a good thing. I, I wish it had happened a couple of years earlier um, and, and that we could have put some meat behind it, right? Because, I right. mean, it's a great, bold vision. It's a statement, but the statement has to be turned into some action. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and what it hasn't done, and unfortunately he's now moved on, so, you know, he did that late in, in his tenure there. But, you know, what's what's Wheeler going to do now that he's taken over the helm, mm-hmm. you know? And, and um, you know, I know the FCC is really behind wireless, and then you're getting all these now, these articles that say, hey, we'll do, you know, get wireless. We don't need fiber. The truth is we need it all. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we need to have fiber to the home. We need to have, you know, more effective use of uh, the wireless spectrum. 
Um, you know, we need all those things to happen. It's not just any one of those things. We need them all to happen. So when we talk about a gigabit nation, I really want to talk about it in the collective. It's about fiber and wireless and core community infrastructure. How does all that come together to give us greater capacity and capability? Mm-hmm. So um, I guess as we get to ready to wrap this down, what's what's next? What do you what do you see from a from a from a planning and execution step? What do you see happening next that's going to move folks around? Are we going to have a I don't know an epiphany of you know um, best business practices. I mean, I'm hoping obviously that the book gets out there and a lot of people see that and use that and follow that. But from, again, from your perspective, what do you see happening next to, to move things forward? Um, well, I, I tell you, you know what I'm seeing from the industry perspective is that um, you know the people that are building devices, you know whether they're handhelds, iPads. Um, you know, connected devices of any sort, um, building, you know, the super high-def, uh, you know, video screens and capabilities, they're, they're really going to be driving what could be the next framework for our application development. You know, those are now new tools. When those new tools are available and they're enabled by the bandwidth, that starts saying, okay, how do I make use of that? And as we start seeing the uh, opportunities in education and immersive learning, uh, we start seeing the real benefits of healthcare and public safety and all the things you're starting to see, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I hate to say Boston, but, you, you know, here's the, the social media side of that, and some of that's, you know, enabled by broadband, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when those things start to become more and more pervasive and uh, the tools are there to make use of it, um, that's just going to drive the demand pull for, for gigabit kinds of capacity. Mm-hmm. So um, I see that already happening. You know, mm-hmm. that part's the bring-your-own-device is already happening. So, um, you know, we may say put it off and you don't really need the bandwidth today, but a year from now, two years from now, and three years from now, we're going to be sadly behind because we didn't develop the infrastructure that would support it. Mm-hmm. So in one minute, I got with this one question that, that came in from a from a listener, um, quoting in line that the, the central government hasn't decided whether broadband should be provided to the public as a market product or a public utility. In one minute, what should be the role of the federal government at this point? Um, well, I think the federal government can influence. You know, whenever the federal government takes control and drives something, it, it doesn't always turn out to be what you know you really need or want. And, and what we're talking about here is developing a capacity and a capability and a service that, as we talked about earlier, that communities get to define their own, you know, applications and use and support of. So I think there's a role for public-private here. I think there is a role for, you know, new policies, uh, you know, new uh, regulatory guidelines. Um, but I think that we also want to take some of those regulatory guidelines away. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to open up the opportunity uh, for commercial innovation and investment. We want to offer offer the opportunity for innovation and uh, new job creation. And so to some extent, I think we have to allow the, the public sector to take part in this and allow the private sector to take part as well. And, um, you know, and then there's a check and a balance. Mm-hmm. But I, I think the public sector has a role here, and unfortunately the the way our competitive environment has been 
our, our competitive environment has lobbied against public sector participation. I think that's wrong. Mm -hmm. And with that, we're going to have to, to wrap. We'll, we'll get you back on the show again. Mark, thank you very, very much for being my guest and being supporter of my uh, book project. Have a, good, have a good day. Hey, thanks, Greg. Always enjoy it. All right. Bye. Bye.